0: From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Over the past few months, we've all become familiar with the short-term symptoms of COVID-19. But what about the long-term consequences of contracting the virus? Today, senior reporter for The Saturday Paper, Rick Morton, on the people who call themselves coronavirus long-haulers, and the emerging research into their ongoing symptoms. Rick, can you tell me about Hannah Davis?
1: So Hannah Davis lives in the United States of America and she's kind of an algorithmic researcher. She uses data and kind of coding systems to visualise stuff in really interesting ways. She was fit and healthy, just a normal 30-something-year-old person and then she got coronavirus, which was about four months ago now.
2: I was under the assumption that it was going to be very mild. That's what they were telling us. The first symptom I had actually was really bizarre. I couldn't read or parse a text message. And I immediately thought COVID because I was in one of the um, biggest hot spots at the time in Brooklyn. And it turned out to be true. And this was March 25th.
1: So she's been diagnosed, she had the infection, she quote-unquote recovered and for four months since then she's been experiencing this near-daily fever.
2: It really is unlike anything I've ever physically experienced before. It's a really, really bizarre virus and many people say that kind of same thing. It just you don't have the linear progression. The relapses are a strong indicator of COVID
1: essential tremors, gastrointestinal issues, severe headaches. She's got a heart rate above 150. Quite often she's got viral arthritis, heart palpitations, muscle aches. And as she says, I'm feeling like my body has forgotten to breathe. And that's crucial because what she explains is more than just her story.
0: So are there other people in a similar situation to Hannah? Are we seeing... Other patients who've who've had COVID nineteen going on to experience these longer term health effects.
1: Yes, and 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 not just small numbers of them, um, thousands, tens of thousands of them, and they call themselves COVID long haulers. They're in these chat groups, they're in Facebook pages, they're on Slack, talking about their symptoms, and they're reporting a strange medley of often debilitating ones that have caused them daily pain, confusion and and really deepening concern because they don't know what's going on. And at the moment, nor does medical science, although those things are starting to catch up. So Hannah is actually one of a team who established the network Patient-Led Research for COVID-19, which is one of the places that's hoping to coordinate that laundry list of ailments associated with what they call post-COVID and direct research to unpick the mystery. When you read through these forums, and I've spent the whole week doing it, you see someone pop up and say, hey, is anyone else losing their hair? And then all of these people are saying, hey, that happened to me too. I can't believe I thought I was the only one.
0: So if that's what people are self-reporting, what does the science say? Are there studies that, that are quantifying these experiences?
1: There's quite a lot of them now and we're seeing more and more by the day. On July 9, the United States' National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases Director Anthony Fauci said, anecdotally at least...
2: If you look anecdotally, there is no question uh, that
1: there are a considerable number of individuals who have a post-viral syndrome that uh, really in many respects can incapacitate them for weeks and weeks following so-called recovery and clearing of the virus. Uh, If you just do... And in fact he mentioned these chat groups. In fact, there are chat groups that you just click
2: in on and you can see people who've recovered who, who really do not get back to normal.
1: The virus also causes a strange hypercoagulate state in the blood, according to Anthony Fauci, which leads to clotting. And not just, you know, run-of-the-mill kind of clotting. People have been reporting seeing clots come out of patients that almost, or well, they do, they stick in the tubes in hospital. And we're finding clots in the kind of beginnings of the carotid artery in the neck which is really uncommon in viruses. So we've got this strange clotting condition where the virus wreaks havoc on the kidneys. The pathogen can compel the wrong type of immune response, resulting in what we call cytokine storms of proteins, uh, some proteins called interleukins, which inflame tissue and organs and can lead to multi-organ failure. So it's the wrong kind of immune response. These things are meant to kind of fight off infection and disease, but they're being kind of weaponized against us. Less than a week ago, the Centre for Disease Control, the CDC in the United States of America, issued an early release paper regarding long-term health problems.
2: Doctors are discovering more about COVID-19 and its effects on the body every single day. Now four months into
1: the pandemic... They found even in symptomatic adults who had not been hospitalised, the CDC reported, it might take weeks for resolution of symptoms and return to usual health. Coronavirus sufferers reported debilitating symptoms for weeks or months after they have recovered from the virus. In this region, there is a spike in psychosis, kidney disease, spinal infections, strokes, chronic tiredness and mobility issues. And then there's something even more worrying. There's increasing research suggesting that COVID could also be impacting the brain and our neurology. And by impacting, I mean the virus is in our brains.
0: We'll be back in a moment. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy, and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying. The moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read POST, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with POST. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Rick, there's a lot of research going on right now into the long-term impacts of COVID-19. Can you tell me what we know about the potential neurological effects of the virus?
1: Yeah. So the thing that really kind of put all this together for me was this paper, a review of the neurological implications published in May in Clinical Neurology and Neurosurgery. And they kind of pulled together 67 different studies and they noted that this most recent virus, the one that is affecting the world right now, may have a higher affinity for targets in the central nervous system than all the other coronaviruses. The most interesting thing that stood out to me in reading all these papers is that there is a very real possibility that at least some of the patients who have had acute respiratory distress syndrome is that they may have had this distress not because their lungs were completely pummeled and damaged which is what we're seeing in autopsies anyway, but also because the virus had been in the brain and had completely shut down or at least led to the death of neuronal cells in the cardiovascular centre of the brain, which is the medulla oblongata. And that's the architecture in our head that allows us to breathe without thinking about it. That's why we breathe when we're asleep. So the virus is actually in there. So that's really interesting and, uh, if you ask me, quite terrifying.
0: Yeah, for, for sure. And so do we know why COVID might be having these impacts on the brain?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of the most interesting question right now, right? So because your brain—it's—it's it's, your brain is one point four kilograms on average, of grey matter locked away in your skull, right? Uh, so there's a thing called the blood-brain barrier, which is kind of meant to keep the two systems separate, and you know when blood gets into the brain, it slows down the rate of flow quite substantially, so the virus can get into the blood and then be taken out anywhere along through this system, including the capillary network, um, which is one theory scientists have for how it can get into the brain. Through, it, it slows down, it sees these receptors, that's how it gets into the body in the first place through the ACE2, and then it just does its harpooning trick. It's got these spikes on the surface of the virus, and it just goes poang and sticks itself into the cell, and that's how it then gets into the brain. The other theory is one I find particularly interesting, is that this coronavirus lands in humans through the nose Um, because one of the first signs that you might have coronavirus as an infection is that you lose your sense of smell or taste and that's where the olfactory bulb is kept at the back of the nasal cavity. So, the virus can actually bypass the blood brain barrier completely if it comes in through the back of the nasal cavity and, and sneaks in via what we call the cribriform plate, which is a kind of a, like a sieve um, at the back of this cavity and and that way it wouldn 't need to be in the circulation at all
0: mm, right
1: so here 's where it gets really interesting though like this is the stuff that kind of blows my mind like yes, this is a kind of a horrifying story in in the impacts, but You know, in some ways it's quite marvellous to to think about how these really ancient viral um, genomes operate. So once it gets into the brain, and this has been found in other coronaviruses, the virus can hijack the actual system that gives you and I thought and action. So the reason we think anything at all is because we have synapses in our brains which pass these little chemical signals between the neurons, and that's how anything happens. So there's a little charge and it goes boing and it jumps across this little tiny gap. It's you know, I think one eightieth the size of a human hair. But the virus can hijack that. It's transsynaptic transmission is what they call it, and so it just jumps across the neurons just like a thought would, except this is a, you know a viral particle.
0: Mm, so if the virus is impacting our neurological systems, that's a that's a serious and and a scary thing. But how common is it for a person? with COVID to experience these kinds of symptoms?
1: I guess that's the great concern right now, right? So we've never been here before. We don't know how long this pandemic's going to last, let alone how long the effects of coronavirus um, will last because we've only had it for six months. So much of the scientific literature is still emerging. But, you know, there was one journal article, it's the largest study we've had to date, of about 143 patients in Italy, um, published in the Journal of uh, the American Medical Association, which showed that 84% had at least one persistent symptom months after recovery from coronavirus. And so, you know, this data is starting to come out. And I spoke to, in Australia, I spoke to the Nobel Prize winning scientist, Professor Peter Doherty, who won that award for his work on discovering how the immune system recognised certain antigens in invading viruses, which was a remarkable discovery and helps us to this day with dealing with the coronavirus.
2: We know what those... what what sort of consequences you might see from the sort of cardiac damage and respiratory lung damage we're seeing now. I don't think we understand any of the neurological manifestations at this stage.
1: He said he doubts that it's neuronal outfall, which is the loss of neurons in the brain, certainly to any significant level, but it's something.
2: What we also don't know is what the consequences, the long-term consequences of the inflammatory type syndrome might be and whether you're going to say uh, see more rheumatoid arthritis later in these people or you're going to see more uh, more chronic inflammatory autoimmune type diseases that, that could be completely novel. I, I really don't know.
1: And the more he thinks about it, the more he thinks that maybe asymptomatic people that we've been telling us ourselves all along didn't show symptoms, maybe they were never totally asymptomatic after all. Maybe they were showing symptoms. He, you know, either way, he said, I think we will see a long-term disease burden out of this pandemic. And it's a whole big experiment. And, you know, he said, a lousy one.
2: Uh, I I think we will see a long-term disease burden out of it. Hopefully, uh, for the future, we'll handle that with vaccination. I I doubt the virus is just going to go away.
0: Mm, yeah. So we're still very much in the unknown then. What will happen next?
1: We we just have to look and look and look and research. I mean, I mean, in human history, I think it's fair to say that we have never seen a scientific turnaround in terms of a global effort to study something to the nth degree within days of the first genome of this virus being produced by Chinese scientists in early January. We have never seen a global scientific effort like this, not even during the space race um, or, you know, when we split the atom. This is huge. There are papers being published in every conceivable direction looking at every conceivable impact of this thing. So, you know, in time we will have, all things going well, a really good understanding of what it does... and and how he may end up living with it. But part of that story will always remain a mystery, I think, until the people who got coronavirus today, you know, until they turn 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80, because, you know, maybe they've got a chronic condition, but maybe they've got a condition that comes back after lying dormant, which is also indicated in some of the evidence.
0: Rick, thank you so much for talking to me today.
1: Thanks, Ruby. I appreciate it.
0: The recording of Hannah Davis in this episode originally aired on the podcast Culturally Relevant with David Chen on the episode Living with COVID-19 for Over 100 Days on July 10, 2020.
1: From the Saturday paper comes The Food, a free weekly newsletter featuring curated recipes from some of the country's leading chefs including Andrew McConnell, Otama Carey, David Moyle and Karen Martini. Cook what they cook by subscribing today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters.
0: Also in the news, the Queensland Government has declared all of New South Wales and the ACT a COVID-19 hotspot and closed the borders to travellers from those regions. Meanwhile, the New South Wales government announced that all visitors or returning residents from Victoria will be forced to quarantine in hotels for 14 days upon arrival. Most businesses in Melbourne will be forced to close from today under the state's Stage 4 lockdown. Workers will need to carry permits to prove they're going to work in an essential industry. Victoria recorded a new record of 725 cases of COVID-19 yesterday and 15 deaths. And Lebanon's capital, Beirut, has been rocked by a massive blast, killing close to 100 and injuring thousands. The cause of the blast, which occurred close to the city's port and sent shockwaves throughout the region, has not yet been identified. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.